Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 5, verses 20 through 22 through 29. May we hear the words of the gospel together. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we hear your words. Holy Spirit, we ask for the wisdom to understand them. Amen. There was a man who was called into court to stand before a judge one day for a minor traffic infraction. So he had to take a day off of work. He showed up first thing in the morning and he waited hour after hour. Finally, at the very end of the day, the judge called him into the courtroom and promptly informed the man that his case was going to be moved to tomorrow, so he would need to come in then. That's ridiculous, the man shouted. The judge said, that'll be $20 for contempt of court. The man pulled out his wallet and started to open it up, and the judge said, whoa, no, you don't pay in here. The man said, oh, no, I'm not trying to pay. I'm seeing if I have enough money left for at least two more words. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I don't know about you, but for me, the idea of standing before a judge is intimidating. Like, even if I haven't done anything wrong, the idea of standing before a judge makes me think something is going to go wrong. I don't like that idea. I don't like that thought. How much more intimidating is it to think about standing before God Almighty? Is that something we even think about? Is that something that even crosses our mind at all? You know, when the creed was formed, it was formed because the early church leaders felt we needed to be able to express what we believe, to be able to keep it in the fronts of our hearts and minds, and it was recited frequently every time they gathered. And within that creedal statement is the phrase that we're focusing on today. From thence, he, meaning Jesus, will come to judge 
Now, in this phrasing, the quick and the dead, that just means the alive and the dead. Basically, what that is saying is that one day Jesus will return, and one day we all will stand before him in judgment. The idea of standing before God in judgment is a soundly biblical concept, and it is one of the tenets of our faith. Now, just to show you that the, uh, that, that the early church uh, elders weren't just coming up with something they thought sounded good, I'm going to show you briefly, just from the words of Jesus, how significant the idea of standing before God in judgment is. So of the 36 parables that Jesus told, and this isn't counting repeats between Gospels, because some of the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, some of them record the same parable, the same teaching. Of the 36 different distinct parables Jesus told, at least 11 of them are in reference to judgment. I mean, you've got the rich fool, the wheat and the tares, the barren fig tree, the dragnet, the unforgiving servant, the dishonest steward, the rich man and Lazarus, the wicked vineyard workers, the great banquet, the wise and foolish virgins, and the sheep and the goats. Each one of these parables clearly depicts the idea that we will all one day stand before God in judgment, that we will all answer to God for how we lived our lives. Here's how John's revelation paints it. Revelation 20. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. What a powerful metaphor there. The earth and the sky themselves sought to flee from the awesome presence of God, but could find nowhere to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. This probably, again, isn't something that we think about all the time. But as we go about our lives, as we live out our Christian faith, or, let's be honest, as we fail to live it out, or as we refuse to live it out, we have to think, we have to understand, we have to remember that one day, What we do here matters, that one day we will answer to God. We will stand before God in judgment. Now, I know that's not a popular topic to talk about, but if almost a third of Jesus' parables talked about judgment, I think we have a responsibility to do so as well. So what does this mean for us? What do we do with this idea? Because I don't want you to walk out of here just terrified. But I do want you to walk out of here understanding the truth that the scriptures teach. So what does it mean for us that we're going to face God in judgment one day? Well, very, very first thing, and this is important to understand, if we are trusting in Christ, if we have turned our heart and our life over to him for salvation, we do not need to fear judgment. If we are trusting in Christ, we do not need to fear 
judgment. You know, uh, I got back from vacation uh, earlier this week. Uh, last week and last Sunday, we were in vacation. We visited my parents in Panama City, Florida. So here's what happened. In 2009, we moved the kids from Panama City to Louisiana, and we took them away from their grandparents. So our penance is that every year we have to take a vacation and stay for free with them on Panama City Beach. It's, I know I'm suffering, and it's, it's horrible, but... I make it through somehow. But you know, when you get out there on the beach and, and you see the ocean, you hear, you smell, you see the sunset, uh, the waves crash in, you get a glimpse of the majesty of God. Or maybe your favorite vacation spot is the mountains and you see that sun come up over the crest of the mountains and it's just, it's, it's awe-inspiring. When I look at creation, I agree with the psalmist who asked God this rhetorical question, what is humankind that you are mindful of them? But not only that, I am going to stand in judgment before the one who spoke all this into being, before the one who is perfectly holy, the one who is powerful enough to say one word, and there was creation where before there was nothing. And if I let that be, that can be a very intimidating, fear-inspiring thought. But the truth is that if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear on that day. See, in the Christian story, when people try to explain it to other people, for some reason, we always want to start with Genesis 3. And here's what I mean. Someone who's not a Christian, we want to tell them what the Christian faith is about. We say, well, you know, people sinned, people messed up, God got really mad, so Jesus came and fixed it. But that's not an accurate portrayal. Because Genesis 3, humanity's sin and God's judgment of sin is not where the Christian story begins. It begins in Genesis 1 and 2 with God's intimate loving creation of humanity with God and humanity in perfect and harmonious relationship with each other and with all the rest of creation. Friends, the Christian story doesn't start with God's wrath or judgment. The Christian story starts with God's love. Listen to 1 John 4. It's how he puts it. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. As you read the Bible, as you understand God, if you do not read every single scripture through the lens of God's love, if you do not see every experience through the filter of God's love, then you are getting an inaccurate picture 
of what is happening. Even God's anger comes from God's perfect love. Even God's judgment and discipline come from God's perfect love. God being love does not negate anger. It does not negate judgment. We tend to make this other mistake too. We tend to project our understanding of love onto God. So when the Bible says God is love, we give our understanding of love and put it on God. And in the same way, when we see that God was angry, we take our understanding of anger and we put it onto God. We project it. But here's the problem. You see, our emotions, our ways of doing things and seeing things and our way of being is tainted because of sin. Uh, My love and my anger can tend to be self-centered can tend to be partial, can tend to be narrow-minded and singularly focused. So we can't take our understandings of these things and put them onto God. We have to take God's way of being and bring them down as our ideal. So in other words, God's anger is never impatient. God's anger is never out of frustration. God's anger is never out of self-centeredness or wounded pride. God's anger is perfect and holy. And it comes from God's love. So the whole thing has got to be understood through God's love. And when we read Genesis 3, where God judges sin, we see that it's actually an act of love and mercy to put Adam and Eve out of the garden. And it's actually a step in God's plan at redeeming us, which has been in place the whole time. Now, let me say this. And I don't know that we say this enough. Facing God's judgment is an inevitability. And my friend, if you plan on facing the judgment of God without the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, you should absolutely be afraid of that. Because God will judge sin, my friends. And Jesus Christ paid the price for all of it. So either we are allowing that to take place in our heart and life and allowing it to cover us, or we are trying to pay that on our own. Either way, the bill is coming due. But the good news, the gospel is good news. The good news is that God, because of his great love, Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17, didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He came to save us. And that's exactly what he accomplished. So if, my friend, you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you have no need to fear the day of judgment when you stand before God. And if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ, let me implore you to make that decision today. And folks who already are, can I say one other polite thing? If there's no one sitting in here today who has not yet trusted Jesus Christ for salvation then we're not doing our jobs. That's a whole other sermon. Okay. You don't need to fear judgment because of Jesus Christ. But secondly, judgment will be comprehensive. Let me explain. Well, first look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5 with me. 
For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive, each of us, whatever we deserve for, now watch this, watch this next one, for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Okay, so the idea of judgment, again, can tend to be inherently negative. It can tend to be a thought of someone telling us what we've done wrong and what the penalty for our wrongdoing is going to be. I, however, have had uh, the privilege of being asked to judge numerous times in both science and social studies fair projects. And my role as a judge there was never to bring anything negative. My role as a judge was actually to point out all the good work that was done. My role was to tell each and every one the good things that they did with their project. And then it was to help determine the best one. Judgment is not always a negative thing. So the judgment of God will not only be negative, it won't only be in or out, but it will also be on what we've done with our life. Now, having said all this about not needing to fear judgment, because we don't, if we're trusting in Christ, we will, however, answer to God for what we did with our lives. Judgment will be comprehensive in this manner. Somewhere along the way, this idea began to spread that being a Christian meant you said a prayer once because, because Mark and the band played the right song and it just got you in the feels and you know, you're just crying and, and you said this prayer and that's it, so you're covered and you don't have to do anything else. That prayer was the beginning. It wasn't the end. That prayer was the start of this new life in Christ. And when we stand before God in judgment, we are going to be judged. And this is not in or out judgment, but we're going to be evaluated and rewarded by God based on what we did. And listen, listen to some of the things the scriptures teach us we'll be judged on. We've got a list of these. First, it'll be whether or not we trusted Christ for salvation. We've talked about that. Secondly, we will, even Christians, be judged on our level of faithfulness to the will of God. Third, we will be judged by the way we treated others, especially the least of us. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives that parable of the sheep and the goats, and this basis of judgment is solely how we treated other people. Fourth, we'll be judged on what we did with the resources God gave us. Did you know that one of the parables of judgment Jesus tells is specifically how servants did or didn't use the money their master gave them? He gives the three servants different amounts. Two of them work with it. One of them just buried it in the ground. And judgment ensues. When you and I stand before God, God is going to show us what we did or didn't do with the resources God gave us, the time, the financial means, even our gifts and abilities. Friends, God has given you so many blessings, and they're not for us just to hoard up for ourselves. You are blessed with time, with resources, and with abilities in order to bless others, in order to make the goodness of God known. Did you know also, Jesus said in the Gospels that we will even be judged on the words we used. Look, I always get tickled 
when someone says, oh, I'm in church, I shouldn't say that. Friends, God listens to you on the golf course just as much as he does in the church. <laughs> Our words have power. And I don't, it's not as much about offensive or non-offensive words. Do you use your words to build other people up? Are your words giving life? Because the scriptures tell us our words have the power of life and death. How are you using what God has given you? Judgment one day will be us standing before God. And even if we've trusted Christ, we will still answer for the good or the evil that we've done. The final thought on judgment Jesus is the only judge. Look back at the main passage this morning, the first verse, John 5, 22. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. All right, I spent five years in education. How many current or former educators, administrators, paraprofessionals do we have in here? Raise your hand. Let me see. Let me see. All right. Excellent. Okay. Put your hands down. So let me ask you, teachers, administrators, is there anything more frustrating than people who have never spent one minute in a classroom passing laws or making decisions on how you have to run your classroom? Is there anything more frustrating than people who have no clue of what it takes to make a job happen telling you how to make your job happen? It was ridiculous. It's, it's obscene the way that happens. And, and really, that, that's true for any job. People who have no idea what effectiveness looks like have no right to tell you whether or not you're effective. So God... Does God have the right to judge us? Because of Jesus Christ, absolutely. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus' most frequent designation for himself is Son of Man. Jesus very clearly and very plainly identified as one of us. Jesus very, very staunchly lived as one of us. He relied on the Father in prayer. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows what it takes to live the lives that you and I live. Listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Friend, Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to feel all alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be frustrated. Jesus knows. And because of that, he absolutely has earned the right to judge. And when he judges, we can trust his judgment is fair, it is merciful, and it is correct. He shows no favorites, and he accepts all 
who come to him. Jesus is the only judge, and he has the right to judge. But let me tell you what else that means. That means that we got to stop standing over other people and judging their lives. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount very clearly, it's not our role to judge. It's not our place. And, and, and the reason is simple. Our judgments aren't accurate. My ability to judge is skewed because of my sin. I cannot make a faithful and accurate judgment. Now, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that we can't recognize sin. It doesn't mean that we don't encourage one another. It doesn't mean we don't lift one another up. It it doesn't even mean that we don't correct each other in humility and love when it's needed. But it means that we do not stand in judgment of one another. Just to be plain, that's not our job. But let me tell you how else that matters. And this is the one I think most of us probably struggle with. Have you ever stopped to think that when Jesus said don't judge, he also meant don't judge yourself? Don't condemn yourself? If Jesus Christ has forgiven you and forgotten your sin you don't have any right to keep bringing it up. It's okay to let go. If Jesus Christ, the judge with ultimate authority, has declared you innocent, you don't have to live under that guilty verdict any longer. Stop judging even yourself. Because the only one with the authority to judge, if you have come to him in repentance and faith, has declared you free and clear. Basically, there are going to be things that we might disagree on as fellow believers. But we're never called to stand above one another, and we're not called to sit in judgment of ourselves. So here's what we do. Every time we say the creed, whether it's in this service or the other one, we're saying we believe that there will be judgment one day. So we need to be ready for that. We need to understand that. And the ways to do that are simple. First, it's to make sure you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Put your faith, put your hope, put yourself in his hands. And if you're not sure how to do that or you want to do that, you come and see me or Doug. Come and see Becky. Come and see Marie. Come and see any number of people in here. If you're watching online and you want to do that, give us a call. Give us an email. Give us a text message or a Facebook message. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And once you've done that, you don't have to fear God's judgment because God, through his love, has done everything to bring you back into that right relationship. But secondly, beyond that, remember that what you do with your life or what you don't do, will be something that we all answer to God for one day. So live in such a way where you are sure that you will hear those words that so many people want to hear.
When you stand before God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then finally, remember that Jesus Christ is the only judge. Don't stand in judgment of others and don't even stand in judgment of yourself when Jesus Christ has declared you free and innocent. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We believe that. And through Jesus Christ, we're ready to face that. Will you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your great love towards us. We give you thanks for the ways in which you have called us, the ways in which you've worked on our behalf, and the ways that you love us. Lord, may we prepare our hearts. May we prepare ourselves to stand before you one day. And may we hear those words, well done, well done. Lord, this is all because of your grace and your love. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.